0: You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com.
1: For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 2, 19-25
0: So in the 90s, there wasn't really any athlete more popular, more imitated, more desired to be around than Michael Jordan. And so Gatorade, who sponsored old Michael Jordan, decided that it would be a really great idea to launch a campaign really harnessing that energy. And so they put out a commercial where Michael Jordan was out in a bunch of different situations and there were all kinds of people around him trying to imitate him, trying to be like him. And the catchphrase there was that everybody wants to be like Mike. Now everybody might've been a little bit of an exaggeration, but a lot of people wanted to be like Michael Jordan. During that time period, every kid that picked up a basketball at some point probably tried to imagine themselves being Michael Jordan and maybe lowered your basketball goal a little bit so you could dunk on it, drove toward it, put your tongue out, which is an incredibly dangerous thing to do, by the way, but that's what happened. Everyone was just running around with their tongues out because that's what Michael Jordan did and everybody was jumping with their legs spread open because that's how Michael Jordan dunked and everybody wanted to be like Mike. But nobody really could be until in the late 90s, Kobe Bryant came into the league. And there's a really strange thing. You can see this. Some people have put these things together, right? You can watch clips of Kobe Bryant playing basketball side by side with clips of Michael Jordan. And they're almost frame by frame perfection. Of Kobe moving in the same way that Michael would move. His shot form was similar to the shot form that Michael had. His post game looked like Michael's post game. You could tell that he was studying Michael Jordan as a kid. But it went even deeper than that because you can also see, and Kobe even admitted this in interviews, that he would not only study Michael Jordan's game, but his demeanor and the way he would sit down at a press conference and even his voice. And Kobe's mission was, if I'm going to be the best, I need to imitate the best. And he took that idea of being like Mike in a way that nobody else ever had. And so that meant that he put hours upon hours upon hours into studying and practicing and imitating so that he could be like Mike. And really nobody else has done it anywhere close Because there's a really big difference between wanting to be like Mike and being like Mike. I wanted to be like Mike, but I was not like Mike. Because I wasn't going to put the hours and the time. And even if I did, I probably couldn't. But it was going to require so much more effort than I wanted to put into it. And you find out really quickly that there's a big difference between wanting it and actually doing it. We talk about wanting to be like Jesus. That's a thing that we say a lot in church. That's the thing that we sing in the songs that we sing in the way that we worship. That's the thing that we talk about sitting around in small group circles. I want to be like Jesus. And after all, we're followers of Christ. We are Christians. We are meant to be representations of Jesus in the world. And so I want to be like Jesus. And sometimes that feels like the central point of my life. I acknowledge, at least with my mind, the most important thing is that I am someone who is like Jesus. But there's a wide chasm between wanting to be like Jesus and being like Jesus. A much greater chasm between any, tri- any kind of imitation of Michael Jordan. The idea of trying to be like Jesus requires such a deep level of devotion and commitment. It requires that we know Jesus, that we study Jesus, and that we walk where Jesus walked and walked how Jesus walked. And this doesn't mean that you have to take some sort of pilgrimage to Israel to be able to walk where and how Jesus walked, because we see where and how Jesus walked in the New Testament, and we're called to follow in those same footsteps. And one of the places that Jesus walked was through suffering, through hardship, through incredible difficulty. And we saw last week, Peter introduced his audience to something that they already knew, that they were going through trials. And we recognize that it's also a part of life as followers of Jesus that we will endure, as Peter calls them, necessary trials. So that we can be tested for the genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, so that we may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. But here's the thing. When it comes to being like Jesus, it's not enough to simply get through hardships because we can program ourselves to endure, right? We can harden ourselves to the point where maybe hardships don't affect us as deeply as they do other people around us. We can do what's necessary to try to just get through the bad times so that we can get to the good times on the other side. But Jesus didn't just endure hardships. But in every way, in everything that happened, Jesus used those trials to point directly to the goodness of the Father. And in the same way, it's not enough enough for us to simply endure our hardships, but to recognize those hardships as an opportunity to bring praise and glory and adoration to the name of Jesus. And so we're going to look at Peter's teaching today. And see how a kingdom of priests like us can learn from the great high priest in order to live in such a way that even in the darkest and hardest times, we can exalt and lift up the name of Jesus. And so let's look at this passage that Stephanie just read. And we see right off the bat there that Peter begins talking about this idea of walking in suffering of leading us into this pathway of following after Jesus. He starts off by saying, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And that's such an interesting phrasing there because we don't think about words like gracious and suffering belonging in the same sentence. And yet in this passage of scripture, Peter does that twice. Equating the suffering of God's people with an act of graciousness from God Himself. And as Peter starts to lay out this picture of what suffering really is, He's leading us, like everything, the gospel reshapes our vision of what suffering is. And Peter's teaching us to see suffering differently. Because as we've already established, no matter who you are, no matter how you live, no matter what you do, every single person that lives is going to encounter hardships and difficulties and trials in some form or fashion. But we know that it's even more so true for followers of Jesus. Then we have a promise that life following Jesus will absolutely bring difficulties. And this original audience absolutely Understood that. They were going through an incredibly difficult trial. In verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. And this is where things get, I guess, kind of hard to reconcile in our minds. Because Peter's looking at this church, at this group of Christians who are enduring persecution. They're doing enduring feelings of exile and loneliness and being ostracized. And Peter says this present trial that you are enduring, this hardship that you are enduring, you have been called to that suffering. You've been called to that hardship for a purpose. And so we see here that not only is suffering a part of life, not only is it a regular occurrence in anyone's life, but at times in the life of Christians, not only do we just happen into suffering, but sometimes God actually calls us in to suffering and trials for a purpose. And just like these early Christians, they didn't seek it out. They didn't have to go looking for hardships. They didn't have to go looking for trials Those things came to them. They weren't out trying to find people to persecute them. They weren't looking for opportunities to be ostracized and exiled. This just happened because they were followers of Jesus. The trouble and the trials found them. And just like they didn't have to go looking for these hardships, neither do we. And sometimes, we've already talked about the fact that it can be easy to just look for comfort and security and try to avoid trials altogether. But sometimes we can be guilty of doing the opposite. Sometimes we can be guilty of being Christian storm chasers where we're just looking for hardships. And we don't feel like we're being faithful if we're not being oppressed. We don't feel like we're being good enough for Jesus if life isn't hard. And so when things are easy and when there's times of success and times of triumph, we look at that and say, "Mm, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. I've heard that I'm supposed to be suffering for Jesus. And so something must be wrong. And so we try to go out and find that. Or on the other side, we can just be hyper paranoid and aware and look for persecution and look for trials when they don't actually exist. But we don't have to do that because at one point in time in our lives, no matter who you are, that kind of persecution, that kind of hardship, that kind of struggle, those kind of trials will absolutely find us both individually as followers of Jesus and also as a church and as the church, there will be seasons where we are called into trials for a purpose and we don't have to hunt those down. And we know that in our personal lives. I'm sure, I imagine that you've probably experienced some of these things in your life as you followed after Jesus. We have experienced those things as a church in the weird history of our church. We experienced those things as a church all over the world over the past few years as we had to deal with the fallout of the pandemic and everything that happened there and tried to reconcile and understand what it means to be a church in these kind of situations. We know that these times will come. And our calling as followers of Jesus and our calling as a church is to exalt the name of Christ and reflect his image in the times of success and in also how we endure in times of suffering. But thankfully, when hardships come, because no matter how much we try to prep ourselves for them, when these things actually come, it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know how to act. It's hard to know how to reflect Jesus in the difficult times. But thankfully, when those hardships come, we don't have to figure it out on the fly. Because Peter continues here in verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Again, we come back to our main purpose as followers of Jesus, to be like Jesus and to make Jesus known by following his example. And there may be no better way or at least no more shocking way to the world around us to make Jesus known through our actions than to do so by reflecting the nature of Christ in the most difficult and hard times that we experience. And so what's the example that Jesus set for us? How are we meant to live when hard times come, especially those unique hard times that are so clearly a calling that Jesus leads us into for the purpose of testing our faith, refining us like fire, and making the glory of God known in the midst of our weakness and suffering. How do we live like that? Well, Peter tells us some of the things that Jesus did. And the first thing is that he committed no sin. He says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. I want to be really careful to make sure that we understand that not all suffering is created equal. There are hardships that very clearly God calls us into that have spiritual ramifications, that have spiritual purposes for the testing of our faith, that are seasons that God directly leads us into for a very clear purpose, whether individually or as a church. There are also times when we suffer just because the world is broken and hard and difficult. And it's those seasons that God has left us in so that we can come together, strengthen one another, and walk through those things well. There are also times that we suffer because we've earned it. There are times that we suffer because we have done something that makes us then worthy of suffering. We have sinned in a way that we have to deal with those consequences. We have gossiped about somebody and have to deal with the fallout of the chaos that can come in relationships there. We have made decisions that don't honor and glorify God, and he leaves us to the ramifications of those decisions. I remember I was hearing a woman talk once during, I believe it was a class, and we were taking some prayer requests or something, and she was just talking about how difficult life was at the moment. And she kept using the language of, Satan is really getting on me right now. You know, I'm just really struggling. I'm feeling just so overwhelmed and so broken down because the devil is just really getting me. He's just really getting me. And then as she began to flesh it out a little more, we started to realize why the, quote, devil was getting her. And it turned out that she had had this massive traffic violation, right? A big speeding ticket that was gonna be a really big deal. A lot of points on her license might have resulted in the loss of her license. She had a court date for that. She didn't pay the fine. She skipped the court date. And now she was looking at a really heavy penalty. And all of us were just kind of sitting around thinking, hey I don't think that's the devil getting you. <laughs> I think maybe. <laughs> that it could be you just really messed up here and this is why you're suffering and you're dealing with this ramification. It was obvious you did something wrong and these are the natural consequences that you have to endure because of the decisions that you've made. And Peter is very clear here that you are not enduring for Jesus if your suffering is self-inflicted. He says up here, if we go backwards a little bit, verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? Essentially, you don't get the brownie points if you mess up and then you have to deal with the consequences. You're not getting a martyr's crown if your sinful actions are what lead you into a season of suffering because sin has consequences. But Jesus, when he suffered, it was clear that he didn't deserve it. It was incredibly obvious that he had done nothing wrong. We see this as Jesus stands before Pilate. As this Roman unbelieving governor looks at Jesus, he comes out and says, this guy hasn't done anything wrong and you want me to crucify him. As Jesus hanging on the cross, we see the criminal beside him scold the other criminal saying, we deserve what we're getting. Our actions led us here. This man has done nothing wrong and yet he suffers. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were yet was without sin and still endured a suffering and a hardship that we could never imagine. And so it was very clear that Jesus' suffering was meant exclusively for the salvation of his people and to bring glory and honor and adoration to God in a way that could not be denied. And we can see that and say, well, yeah, of course, it's Jesus. The whole purpose is that he didn't sin. But remember the calling that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount He says, be holy. As your heavenly Father is holy. As some translations break it down, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we know because we all sin and mess up and because like we talked about last week, we come out of of salvation, out of that ransoming, but we still have the dirt on our face. We still have the remnants of our old life waiting for Jesus to wash it off once and for all, but we still sin, we still mess up and we still fall short. But that doesn't mean that our goal should not be to be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect to do everything in the power that the Spirit has given us to walk and live in such a way that any time that we suffer, it's clear that we haven't earned it. If we flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, Paul says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight with faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. he who is the blessed and only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul calls those of us who have been saved by Jesus to live like Jesus to refrain from and abstain from sin, to flee away from all unrighteousness and all unholiness and to cling on to steadfastness and gentleness and righteousness and holiness so that that confession that we bear, that we learn from Jesus, that the faith that we have in Jesus will go unstained and unmarred because our lives are lived in such a way that it is worthy to the calling to which we've been called. This is a calling to live in a way that makes it clear that any suffering that we endure is clearly unjust or unearned. But also we need to be self-aware of the times when it is. To be very reflective on the times when we have led ourselves into a season of suffering because of our sin and because of our weakness. And then those times, not fight it with excuses, not fight it with hiding or pulling away, but with confession and repentance and transparency and with trust, dealing with the consequences and then moving forward in righteousness but as so long as we can to hold fast to our confession and to live in a way that is upright and holy so that when we endure that suffering and people ask the question, why? Because, oh, that looks like a good person and they're making the right decision so that in those moments, we are able to point clearly to Jesus because this kind of life above reproach and living as best we can without sin guarantees that our suffering will exalt Jesus and not defame his name. And so we need to follow that example of Jesus that as best we can to live life without sin, so in the midst of suffering, we can point to Christ. But he doesn't stop there, because Peter says he neither committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to the God who judges justly. So, not only did Jesus commit no sin to earn that suffering, but when he was going through that suffering, he didn't revile or threaten, he didn't respond in turn. And here's a little secret about me this mouth is a bit hard to control, especially when it feels like it's justified. Anytime I feel like something has happened that is unfair or somebody says something about me that's untrue or somebody says something about me or does something to me that I feel like warrants some sort of justice, there is something that just wells up inside of me that wants to react in an equal, I would say in a more harsh way than what was doled out to me. But when we look at the example of Jesus, as Jesus stood on trial, before Herod and Pilate, two men that had no right to judge Jesus. He didn't plead his case. When Jesus was turned over to the hands of the people that hated him, and they mocked him, and they spit on him, he didn't say anything in return. When they struck him in the face, when they tortured Jesus, he didn't do anything to find himself fighting back. When they punched him in the face, he never even clenched his fists. He just took what they gave him and walked toward the cross. When they stretched out his hands, he didn't do anything to fight back. Even though he knew that at any moment he could call a multitude of angels to come and bring him down, he stretched out his arms willingly and endured the cross He did all of this essentially in silence. But then when it got too much, when it was so overwhelming as Jesus was hanging on the cross and the people there were just watching him, humiliated and broken and beating, when it was so much that he just couldn't stand it anymore and he had to say something, when he opened his mouth, what came out was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There's something intrinsic within us that has a desperate need for fairness, for retribution, for revenge, or even for pity. When something bad happens to me, I want people to know about it. So I either want to be able to make it known so that I can get revenge or retribution or get back what's mine I want people to know about it so someone can interject on my behalf and make it right for me, or I just want people to know so they feel sorry for me, and so maybe they'll do something for me, or maybe I'll get a little bit of attention, but this need for fairness and retribution and pity, what that does is when we go through times of suffering is it takes all of the attention and puts it right on me. This takes my trials and makes me the center of attention and the center of focus. But when Jesus endured trials, when Jesus endured hardship, when Jesus endured suffering, he took that suffering and instead of pointing all the attention to himself, Jesus took all the attention and pointed it directly to the Father. And as he was suffering and pointing to the Father, he also was using every last bit of energy he had to minister to those and to care for those around him. And our calling is to do exactly that the same. We've talked about this before, but not only can Christians pour out of an empty cup, there is an expectation that we are going to pour out of an empty cup. That when we are oppressed and downtrodden and broken and hurting and weak, that it's in our weakness that we are made strong through Christ Jesus. That it's in our lowest points that we can best point towards Christ Jesus. That it's even in the midst of our suffering that we have the ability to best reflect the nature and character of Jesus to all of those around us. That when we suffer, when we're called into hardship, when we experience any sort of trials in our lives, our mission should be to point to Jesus and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But this is where church is so crucial. I think one of the most dangerous things that we can do to church is reduce it down to that event where we get together and we sing some songs and we hear a sermon and maybe we have some activities together and some programs and I get my base needs of peopling met. And I get to spend some time around some people and feel good about it and check some boxes off because that's not church. Those things happen in church. Sermons are important in church. Worship and music is important in church. Those kind of fellowship and events and those structured things are important. But the core of what church is, as we saw in Acts chapter two, is a group of believers united together by the gospel, loving and praising Jesus together and loving and caring for one another in a way that no other institution or organization possibly can. See, if I'm going to try to pour out of an empty cup, I need some people around me who might be a little more full. If I'm gonna go through hardships and suffering and difficulty, I need a group of people around me where I can come to you and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling and I'm broken and I don't need pity, but I need love. I need compassion, I need kindness, I need gentleness, I need your steadfastness because I don't have it right now. But just because I'm suffering doesn't mean that I am exempt from doing the work of ministry. And so if I'm gonna do what I need to do in the midst of my hardship, I need you to hold me up while I do. And as a follower of Jesus and a member of this church, if you are enduring hardship, if you are suffering, if you are going through a present trial, You're not exempt from pointing to Jesus and loving your neighbor as yourself. You don't get the day off from being a priest in the kingdom of God. But you should be able to come to your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, I'm hurting. This is hard. I'm overwhelmed. I'm oppressed. I'm dealing with some persecution. I'm dealing with some things that are beyond my control. And I didn't do anything to earn this, but yet here I am. And so I need you. And I need to be able to be there for you and to pick you up when you feel weak, to be your steadfastness when you don't feel like you've got it all together, to be your strength when you feel weak. That is the purpose and the mission of the church. Because if it's just about me and what I can do, me personally, I'm probably going to seek revenge. Or maybe you're a person that's going to seek fairness. Or maybe you're somebody that's going to seek just the sympathy and pity, but by ourselves, we're just going to turn it in and make it all about us. But when we endure these things together, when we are there for one another, when our brothers and sisters in Christ go through times of hardship, it enables us to be able to do well what Jesus did, to use our suffering as an opportunity to glorify the Father, And to still look as Jesus looked with compassion and love and mercy at those around us and be ministers of the gospel. And the way that Jesus was able to do all of this, from committing no sin and suffering anyway, to going through all of his hardships without reviling or threatening in return, the way he was able to accomplish this was that he trusted in the Father. He says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One of the things that marks Jesus's ministry and that makes me realize how far I have to go to be like Jesus is that daily, before the sun came up, Jesus got away from his disciples, he got away from the crowds, and he went to the Father in prayer. See, for me at least, a lot of times prayer is reactionary. When something bad happens, then it's, okay, now it's time to go pray because all these hard things are happening, and so I need to go to Jesus, and I need to start praying to the Father. But for Jesus, prayer was preparatory. He was spending his time when the crowds were gathering around when things were going well, when it seemed like everything was moving in the right direction to the disciples, when they were moving on up to the place they wanted to be, those were the times when Jesus was going to the Father daily in prayer because he knew that hardships were coming. And then as that Passion Week approached more and more and more, we see Jesus praying more and more and more. And we see Jesus praying in such an exemplary way because not only was he praying continuously because Peter says that he was continuing to entrust himself to the father but he prayed openly and honestly We see Jesus in the garden when he is so grieved and broken about what's going to happen that he begs God to change the plan. He begs God to change the story that was written before the foundation of the world. He says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it be so. He prayed so openly and vulnerably, but also willingly saying, not my will, but yours be done. And that's the example that we need to follow. To endure like Jesus, we need to pray like Jesus. To suffer like Jesus, we need to entrust ourselves to the Father like Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. We need to be people who pray often, not just when things are hard, not just when life is spiraling out of control not when we find ourselves in the midst of the storm but we need to be the kind of people who know that whether it's today or some other day that a storm is coming and sometimes those are storms that are called into our lives for a purpose and they're going to be hard in fact they are going to be harder than what we can deal with on our own because that's the purpose of these sort of things and so we need to be praying day after day even when things are going well that god would prepare us for the storm that he would prepare us for the trials that he would prepare us for the difficulties and we need to pray openly and honestly when those trials come because it can feel very good to be pious And sit down and pray the same prayers when things are hard that we do when things are good. Or just make a prayer request list. God, this thing is in my life and you know it and I would like you to take it away. Thank you and amen. But to pray with the kind of honesty and vulnerability that Jesus prayed with. I mean, Jesus tells us God knows what we need, but he still wants us to pray for it. And he invites us to come willingly with just open hearts, torn wide open, saying, God, this is hard. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this. God, why am I enduring this? With all of our questions, with all of our doubts, with all of our just whining, and we can lay it at the feet of God and be as open and vulnerable and honest as we can. But in the midst of our openness, we also need to be praying willingly saying, yeah, I don't know why this is happening. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't feel good. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. But not my will, but yours be done. And I'm going to walk with you through this trial and this suffering and trust you through the process. But even with all that prayer, while it's easy to say these things, to really do them just kind of feels above our pay grade. If life is going okay for you right now, I don't feel like I have any major hardships happening in my personal life. So I don't feel that weight of hardship on me personally, where I need some sort of revenge or I need some sort of fairness, or I need some sort of pity. And so it can be really easy to say, Hey, I'll follow God wherever he leads and I'll be strong in the midst of the storm." But when those storms come, when those hardships come, it just feels too much. And it can feel like it's just beyond me because I'm not Jesus. But the truth is, it is above our pay grade. Or it was above our pay grade. But like we see Peter remind us of over and over and over again, when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, all of these things that were once out of our reach, all of these things that were once beyond our power are now very much laid in our hands by Christ. Because Peter says he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Peter reminds us here that it's the gospel, that it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that makes us able. Because as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so I'm not limited by my weaknesses. I'm not limited by my fears. I'm not limited by my sins or my shortcomings because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so when those times come where I'm called into suffering, I don't have to rely on my own strength, but I can walk how Jesus walked because Jesus not just walks through it with me, but Jesus is living within me so that I can be the kind of person who is tempted in every way, but doesn't give in to sin. I can be the kind of person who when hardship or oppression or threats come against me, I don't revile or threaten in return. I'm the kind of person who when things don't make sense, I can entrust myself to the Father, not because of who I am, but because of who lives and reigns within me in Christ Jesus. So whether it's now or whether it's later. As a follower of Jesus, one day, and sometimes many days, you and I are going to be called into a season of trial and difficulty for a purpose. There are going to be seasons where our church is called in to a season of hardship and trial and suffering for the purpose of testing our faith refining us like silver and gold, and bringing glory and honor to Jesus. And so we need to begin now learning from the example of Christ, having the mind of Jesus, so that even in the darkest and hardest times of our lives, we can reflect our great high Priest bring glory to the name of Jesus and continue the work that he's called us to do of loving our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even when we feel like we have nothing to give, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, this is one of those times when we have to just ask why. Because we don't understand. In our minds, you suffer for doing bad and you get rewarded for doing good. But we thank you that Jesus committed no sin and still chose to stand in our way as a perfect and holy sacrifice so that we could know you and the power of your salvation. Father God, we thank you for the transformation that comes in knowing Jesus. We thank you that we can walk in the steps that Jesus walked, even the ones that lead to trials and hardships beyond our capacity to handle it. God, help us to learn to see it as a gracious thing when we endure suffering for righteousness' sake. God, protect us from ourselves and giving into temptation. Lead us not into sin. Deliver us from evil so that we don't have to deal with the consequences of our own actions. Help us to be quick to confession and repentance when we do. God, as we struggle to cling on to righteousness and endure suffering anyway, help us to walk through those times like Jesus did. To take every opportunity to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Surround us with our brothers and sisters in Christ to give us strength and encouragement when we need it. Help us to be open and honest and vulnerable enough to admit our weaknesses. And God, help us to work together to be good ministers of your gospel in the easy seasons and in the difficult, in the good seasons and the bad, in the times of health and in the times of sickness and the times of prosperity and in the times of poverty. Help us to never relent from doing the work that you've called us to do of praising and exalting the name of Jesus and of going and making disciples of all nations. You know even more than we do how much we need your help to accomplish that. So we pray that through the power of your spirit, you would make us able And that you would remind us that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. And that you'd give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.